0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica.
1: And I'm Courtney. Today is
0: Friday, November 29th, 2019. Thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Happy Thanksgiving, Courtney.
1: Happy Thanksgiving to you too.
0: I guess it's actually the day after here in the United States of America. Yeah,
1: or as my son said, do you know what they call Thanksgiving in Canada? And I said, "No, what?" And he said, "Thursday." (laughs) (laughs) That is. I have a thirteen-year-old who is all about puns right now, which makes for a wry household. Yeah. Although I was seeing
0: on Twitter, people were posting in England about Black Friday, which didn't really make sense to me because they don't have Thanksgiving there either. I mean, at least not as of yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> they just randomly having the sales and without the, the day of eating beforehand? Well. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I'd, I just thought it was clearly
1: Clearly we are not the most... I mean, we're sitting here recording our podcast on Black Friday instead of... I don't know about you, but I did not get up at 4 a.m. to go to... Oh, no. Target or Kohl's or... I, I've never, I don't think I've ever been... To I a, have never... Friday. Ever been shopping on Black Friday? Yeah, we bought a life jacket because it was on sale online <laughs> for kid number
0: one, but he needed it, so no, yeah, I don't feel that bad. Exactly. I think counts. my
1: I think my husband bought wrestling shoes for our yeah. son online because they were on sale today. So but, all right, so
0: we we've, we've done our we've part done to our part
1: support the economy.
0: All right, so
1: today.
0: Uh, we'll be doing on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and then we will be bringing back under the tree our holiday gift guide. I guess that's a Christmas guide technically, but please feel free to substitute your holiday decoration and gift of choice. Uh, so on the needles, I finished my descent card again. Where was it? I just needed to sew on buttons and whatnot. Well, there's mm-hmm. that inside. Cause I've done this... Did I do the steeking? We talked about the steeking yes. last time. Okay. So I'd done the steeking. Yes. All right, so technically, I do still need to do the sewing on of the ribbon. I have picked out the ribbon, but it was going to be cold yesterday. I mean, California Bay Area cold, so with a high of 47. I think that's legitimately chilly. I wore a winter coat yesterday. So I wanted to wear my sweater to Thanksgiving, but we were super busy in the days leading up to it. And so I just decided I'm sewing on the buttons. I'll go back later and do all the final fancy finishing, but I really wanted to wear it. And it looked really cute. At least I thought it did. It did. It looked great. So, yeah. I saw a picture. And I wanted to take a picture. <laughs> My parents have a nice backyard, so got a, got a cute
1: photo. Their backyard does, does not look wintry at all. It looks like a California backyard.
0: Yeah. I, the grass <laughs> is not real grass, so that's
1: why it looks so <laughs> green.
0: <laughs> okay. So that helps, both from a, a drought perspective and a Absolutely. photo opportunity. Yes. But so that was great. Fit well, very comfy. Yeah, I'm just excellent. Uh, all around pleased with that. And oh yeah, I finished, finished, finished the first impressions shawl. Uh, I was mostly done with that last time, but I did finish the bind off and did the blocking, which this blocking is the is Monet. The Monet inspired one, patterned by Brenda Castile. King's Mountain sock yarn from Serendipity in the Camille colorway, blues and greens, cool rough like lace body in the shawl stockinette bands in between and a ruffle border mm-hmm. and the blocking just I mean lace always looks a little bit garbagey until you block <laughs> it and ruffles too it was you know it's like oh it's nice but you know not the best and I didn't do anything super fancy if it's a like an all-over heavy lace shawl I'll get out the pins and the blocking wires and really open things up this one yeah I just gave it a quick soak and then spread it out and pulled it into shape kind of pull things out and that worked fine great really opened it up looks nice so i'll have to get a chance to wear
1: that yeah well it's supposed to be cool all week and maybe a little wet too so yeah
0: so i might have a chance the problem i'm having with my knitwear such a problem is that now that i actually have a lot of sweaters it's weird for me to wear sweaters
1: and a knit scarf right
0: or it feels weird like you Know there's only so much knitwear you can wear at once,
1: I feel. I yeah, mean. yeah,
0: so it's a little bit need to hit that in between weather spot where I can maybe wear a t shirt and a shawl. I don't a shawl, so
1: and then I have a couple
0: of tiny projects that I have finished. I have lots of finished objects this time. Um, I did a charity hat for a charity, obviously. There's a group in the Bay Area that does, uh, she started off doing hats for homeless teens Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in the area and I think she's expanded to both kids in the foster system and Mm -hmm. she'll take mitts and scarves. That's
1: great. So
0: yeah, so I thought it was a really nice idea. I mean, my kids are kind of in that age range um, and I feel like a lot of people for charity knitting, they'll do maybe homeless shelters and that'll hit adults. Or they'll do babies, baby hats, yeah, yeah, which are all great things, and we need them. But you know, I thought kids was kind of where my heart it's is. It's our, so.
1: yeah, and it's our every day too. And, yeah, you know, teenagers.
0: <laughs> so I'm trying to get a bunch of those going, um, using up some leftover yarn. And she'll take group is called Compassionate, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes if anybody is interested. And she'll take there's no yarn requirements. You can use washable. You can use non-wash. You can use whatever. So that's really handy. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, and she works, she's a, I think, a, a child services attorney. So mm-hmm. she works with these groups and she's found groups that want these items and have kids that need them. And so I'm kind of excited to That's great. To do a little extra knitting for someone. Um, so the hat I did is Castile by Wooly Wormhead, who does such amazing hats. She, if you like knitting hats, you probably have heard of her. If you want to knit a hat, you should I want to knit her. a hat. They're really awesome. She does, a lot of them are interesting construction or just cool. She has a whole series of ones for kids. It's great. So this one was, I've had in my queue forever, and it's kind of a lacy one. It was a really nice pattern. Super easy to memorize and do, and it looks really cool. Uh, the yarn I used is called Yarn is My Favorite by, I just wrote down Lemonade. I think it's Lemonade Yarn Company, something like that. It's a green and white yarn with little pink and blue speckles. So it sort of looks Christmas, like a Christmas tree kind of thing. If it, and it does a lot of pooling. Right? Fun. So, so I did that. Um, it's very squishy. I put a pom-pom on it because, you know, who doesn't like a pom-pom?
1: And it adds height, frankly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it finished using up the yarn. And actually, I kind of, I was making the pom-pom, and I was so excited to finish using up all this yarn that I forgot I needed to save some. To to tie tie it off. off. Yeah. And I was thinking, there's some reason I need to keep some yarn. And I was thinking it was to sew it on, but I had left yarn when I closed up the top. Yeah. I knew there was a long string there. I was like, oh, that'll be fine. And then I closed it and started (laughs) snipping. I was like, oh, wait. There was a reason. So I had to go in there and cut off that long tail. It was dicey, but it worked out.
1: But you can use... A different yarn to tie off the pom-pom in
0: fact that's it, true but that would involve going and finding additional yarn Yes. and
1: but if you're if you're um, making a pom-pom with really chunky yarn it's better to tie off the pom-pom oh, with a true. thinner strand because it was then it, yeah pro yeah. tip
0: yeah that is a, that is a good thought thank you for sure, sure. I remember that next time um, so yeah, so that one is done. I want to do a few more so that I want to send them in. I'm not just sending one. Well, Wednesday you're fast enough to yeah. do another one. Well, and hats are easy. I mean, again, for me. Relatively. They're relatively speaking a small little project that you can do quickly. Um, and so I went through my stash and pulled a bunch of yarns that I have enough to do some things with. I think I might do a pair of mitts as well. I have this like pink and purple stripe yarn that is very loud and obnoxious, but I think it was... Gonna make a hat, but I was thinking maybe mitts would be a little more fun. So yeah, so I'm sort of, I'm looking forward to it. That's great. Doing some more things. And then I knit a baby sweater. My cousin's kid is having a kid, which is kind of crazy. So I knit another wee Envelope by Isolde Teague, and it's the third time I have knit this pattern, and it is fantastic. And you feel like a knitting goddess because it's <laughs> an envelope neckline baby sweater, and you knit it side to side. And there's picking up of stitches involved and the directions are really clear and i still managed to get confused but that's okay and it's super fun and i did it in a striping yarn it's the lion brand mani Petty, in the boot colorway why it is called this i have no idea oh i don't i gotta see this color at some point it's i posted a picture of it on instagram it is gosh uh gbiv colorway so the rainbow but without the red and the orange uh, there's a couple shades of blue there's two shades of green oh this is the yeah so that's the sweater oh okay Got so it's a really fun colorway so and then you knit the top part side to side and then you pick up and knit the bottom down so the stripes are going in two different directions so I was cute. really pleased and again baby sweater so it went pretty quickly that's and I was
1: able to hand it cute.
0: off at uh, family gathering
1: Nice. Yesterday. So that was nice. It's a machine washable. Some people are intimidated by washing a hand knit. They don't yeah. want to ruin it. Yeah, so that's especially if you're having your first child and you're working and it seems And lot... then you think, I'm never going to put this on my kid because yeah. she's going to spit special. up on it. And exactly. that's it. Yeah. yeah. So we really should just nice. say that almost any hand knit can be hand washed and then just laid flat to dry. Yes. Isn't that true? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. PSA. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes and please wear your head knits because they can be washed they're meant to be worn but yeah but it is nicer if people aren't familiar with or just don't want to deal with hand washing cuz yeah i often don't want to deal with it but so anyway i did some more work on my christmas socks the rye light by tin can knits i'm at the point where i need to start the toe on the first one and i just haven't mentally gotten there i have to figure out my decreases okay they won't be complicated i just need to do it and then oh the big news i started my elton cardigan tell us about the elton cardigan so it's by hohi locatelli it is in or at least i am using neighborhood fiber fiber company yarn oh this is the one that i got at vogue knitting live last september so a year and a few months ago it's two different yarns you stripe i'm striping a rustic fingering base and their loft base which is a mohair and silk lace weight so very, very thin yarn and fluffy. You knit them on the same needle size so it ends up looking striped. Mm -hmm. They're both in the Waverly colorway, so it's an all-over color. The sample pattern on the pattern page is in a yellow. It's beautiful. It's really cool, I'm excited about it. So I finished the top. You start off knitting the top kind of in pieces and connect them together, and then join up underneath the sleeves and then you're just knitting stripes for, I don't know, 15 inches or something. Yeah. So that's where I am. And then you come back and add on the sleeves. So I've gotten through, the, I think, the complicated bits, and now I just, I'm gonna knit.
1: And this is like a 7 8 sleeve.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I might make them full length. We'll see how yeah. much yeah. yarn I have. But I am in, you know, now it's, it's easy. It's a little bit tricky working with the mohair silk lace weight yarn. Um, so it's really thin yarn and fluffy so it tends to kind of and especially with the striping the yarns tend to get twisted so i have to make sure i'm untwisting them because otherwise they'll get kind of knotted together just the friction of the two yarns the rustic fingering i think is a single so it's not doesn't have any twist just one strand of fiber basically both really beautiful yarns they're just a little bit tricky to work with and what color are you oh yeah waverly isn't very descriptive no it's uh shockingly a burgundy who knew that I would like burgundy (laughs) I have a few in those sweaters in that color but yeah so I'm excited to work on that I don't know that I will be getting it done in time for this holiday season but
1: I mean I could wear it in January still it is the shoulder because it's kind of boxy that should be easier than doing decreases and yeah it looks like it's it's a little bit more streamlined
0: yeah, it's definitely got a lot of positive ease. It's a big one of those boxy kind of designs. It'll be interesting figuring buttons because it's such a lightweight garment yeah. that you're not going to want anything too heavy.
1: That's why you could do so, those clear, small. You can get them at any size. The plastic oh. snap, then you can't see them, and you just have the. You don't have to do buttonholes. Oh. Well, I'll have to think about that. Yeah. I really like them because they're clear. So visually, you can't see them. Will they
0: be on the inside though, of the button band?
1: Yes, it would go inside. Did you already do the buttonholes? I haven't. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that could be interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, oh, and I wanted to mention, I had mentioned a Advent scarf knit along last time, but I didn't say how to find it if you were interested. And I had someone email me about that. So the designer is Zemi, Z-E-M-Y, and you can find a link to the thread in the Sock Madness group on Ravelry. And in there, there is a link to the pattern, and from there you can get to her pattern page and find the other ones and kind of do your own admin scarf if you want. And I think that's all my knitting.
1: That's a good variety of knitting, and I love the one that you're doing for charity. Yeah. That is, that is fun. spot on. Thanks. How about you? What is on the easel? Well, gouache-vember, of course, Ooh, is wrapping over. up. I am um, sort of I'm a minute behind. Yesterday was pie, and I spent the day with family, so I have a sketch for pie. I have to paint it. But it has been a great, fun exercise working off Daria's prompt list and that's hey hooray design and that's been just so much fun it's a great group of gouashlings
0: yeah it's been fun watching them all come by on Instagram and because it is a prompt you get to see a lot of different interpretations Mm -hmm. of the same word Mm -hmm.
1: and I I really stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit and did a portrait of my husband
0: oh I saw that yeah which I didn't
1: know he was a potter. He was in high school, oh, okay. which was, Still, you know, two or three years ago. Only a few, yeah. Um, And it was, what made me think of it is because we had toured his old high school. Right. And that is where he spent all of those three years or whatever in ceramics. And during the earthquake, all he cared about was whether or not his ceramics had survived the earthquake. That is what made me think of the pottery wheel for the wheel prompt. Oh, right. And we don't have a pottery wheel. I wish we did. I wish we had the whole shebang. And Mm -hmm. I would, you know, then I just wouldn't sleep. I would have to divide my time accordingly. And there'd be a segment about on the wheel. That would be awesome. (laughs) He, I made him sort of pose like he was at a potter's wheel. And then I inserted The wheel and, you know, some other just sort of generic vase, which was probably 30 pounds of clay um, because it was so huge. But it was hard to paint him. It's very hard to paint someone you know, and it's particularly hard to paint one's husband, (laughs) especially because his hair was crazy. It was like (laughs) all a mess and... He has a full beard right now, and that's hard to paint. And I just sort of decided I wasn't going to focus on him so much, but focus on right. the, the pottery part. And then I was happier with how it came out, even though his glasses you know, leave a shadow on his cheek. And I thought, oh, that I don't like how that looks. But
0: yeah.
1: I just went with it, and it was one of my more enjoyable and step out of my comfort zone prompts for gouache member so yes gouache member and then the chapbook behind the scenes has been happening i have the book laid out and i've been putting illustrations in and then pulling them out and making changes and it is a it's a do do kind of a thing and i'm really hoping to finish it up this weekend which is the loftiest <laughs> of goals but i'm a much faster painter than i am a knitter So I have that working in my favor.
0: I think you can do it.
1: Thank you. I did the other, on Monday, um, was just not in the right mindset. I was struggling with the storyline a little bit. And so I decided I was going to paint the envelopes instead and just more production mode. And so I hand painted my Christmas card envelopes. There's 140 of them. So beautiful. I streamline the process. It is a lot of paint that goes into one little mushroom. There's there's a single mushroom, kind of a generic looking brown mushroom with a little tuft of mossy grass at the base of it. And it has just a brush stroke of copper gouache atop the mushroom cap that I'm trying to simulate like that slimy sheen of a mushroom. <laughs> But I like the metallic, you know, yes. Yeah. Well, special. And it's, I
0: mean, it's a lot of colors. In there. It is
1: a lot of colors. I took a picture of my paint tubes the other day because I had a little... Once I cleaned everything up, I realized, oh, I'm not really sure that I'm done painting these envelopes. Like, there might be one or two more that I need, and I don't want to forget which paints mm-hmm. I used. And so I did take a picture... And it looks like 11 tubes of paint to go into one little mushroom. It's adorable. So I did all the envelopes, and that was a great achievement. Yeah. And then I addressed them all, which took far less time than the painting of the mushroom. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, it takes me about a minute to paint a single mushroom from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But what I was doing them in is groups of 12 or... 16, you know, just lay out the envelopes and then I would do the stem and then the dark shadow So you would do the stem for all of them all of them and then like the inside of the cap for all of them And then the outside the top of the cap right and then you know as things are drying I was kind of like doing all of these different stages and I did post a little video in my stories, but I'll pop make sure it's in the highlights where I did a time-lapse of each stage. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah,
0: make sure you post that.
1: And that, that was fun. One of my, my kids helped figure that time-lapse thing out for me because I'm so analog. Yeah, the, the envelopes are painted. They're all addressed now, which, again, that took me, it took me about, I don't know, five or six hours to paint the mushrooms, and then it took an hour and a half to address them all. Wow. It's really fast. Interesting. So it's coming. It's almost there. Yay. And then I have been thinking about 2020. And we, we're going to have a whole episode about goals and yep. for each of our segments. And, and, of course, that will be wrapped into it. But it's been a couple years since I've had a big pro- structured project. And a few – well, the first big one that I did was – the 50 state birds. And I did bird and flower and a map and a narrative, and those all live in a sketchbook. And that was many years ago, like six, seven years ago. And then I did draw the dictionary, which was reaching out to all of, well, 26 family and friends and assigned them a letter from the Scrabble box, just 26 letters. (laughs) (laughs) And then I sent out real mail, everyone and asked for words that began with their assigned letter and received letters back or words back and drew six or eight words from each person. That was a great project because it brought in voices from other people who are close to me and it gave me different things to draw that I would normally not have drawn or painted rather and it was it was fun it allowed me to do research I love to do the research portion. And so, my plan for 2020 is very loose right now, Mm -hmm. but it is. I am so excited. You are
0: so excited. Your face Um, is just.
1: I am lit up about it. Amazing. So, I will tell you the origin story, and then I think I will refine it the next time that we meet. So, yesterday was Thanksgiving here in America. And we gathered, my, my husband's family gathered together at his cousin Maggie's house. Maggie and Scott hosted everything, it was very beautiful. And at towards the end, over our cups of tea, uh, there was a small group of us and we were talking about how I'm trying to think of a like smaller projects to you know, mini-series type things and people were throwing out all kinds of ideas. Or I had mentioned something about endangered species and Auntie Margot said that's boring <laughs> which which I love the candor because I wasn't very excited about it either yeah. and that's why I was bringing it up is because as a person who creates in my own studio and kind of in a vacuum it's opportunities like this the podcast or Instagram or meeting with family that allow me to kind of stretch ideas out and see how they feel. And so one of the things that Maggie mentioned was Greece and maybe Greek and Roman gods or constellations or, and then Margot said spices and trade routes. and And it was that kind of conversation, which is just people chiming in about things that strike their fancy in mm-hmm. the moment. And I went away from it thinking, well, I don't know, I'm not crazy about, I don't know anything about Greek and Roman gods. And Mm -hmm. that's something I could do some research on. And anyway, that percolated overnight. Mm -hmm. And then this morning I woke up and I was sitting there thinking about what I'd love to paint and draw. I love to paint and draw birds and maps and butterflies. I love to do research. I love to do lettering and packaging and postage, and um, I really want to be better about portraits. And then Maggie's comment about Greece, she has been to Greece and she really loved it. And I know she's also been to other countries, and I was thinking, oh, I wonder what she would say about Peru or... So what's happening now is I'm thinking of a way to paint a visual atlas with help from my community. And I'm gonna stop myself there because I think that it's gonna it's gonna evolve a little bit further and I'm really excited to share it next time.
0: That sounds cool though. I'm <laughs> excited to see how it evolves.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you probably I'm...
0: still need to figure out what you would be asking people to contribute and absolutely what you're gonna wanna yeah. I'm Stay gonna... tuned. Lots of room for fun. Cool. Oh, so that's it. That, we I think, is where I'm going to... Done with the easel for now?
1: I mean, it's plenty. Well, the easel is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're good.
0: Okay. On the table. So there was some cooking done yesterday. <laughs> Maybe. A little bit. I'll start off with the other things that I've been cooking. Yes, please. And then we can talk a little bit about what we did for the actual dig day. Because I made some really awesome things. <laughs> <laughs> if you do say so yourself. I mean, I just cooked them. I did not come up with the recipes. So a lot of the cooking I did, Thanksgiving is so set kind of in its menu usually. There's yeah. not a lot of room for experimentation. And also because I am always a guest, I'm not going to be making the turkey. I'm not going to be making the potatoes. So the week's leading up to it, I'll often, and there's so many recipes out there. So I'll do those recipes at home for the family. We can right. do our own thing. And it's not a full meal, but we'll do the sides. The first one, oh, shocker here, Smitten Kitchen, is online. Uh, Her Brussels sprout salad with apple and pomegranate. Light and crispy and flavorful, and my family all liked it. Really easy. Pretty. It's colorful, Uh, too. Yeah. I forget what else. I think there's probably some nuts in there, but obviously you could leave that out. That was really good. So then the next thing I did was crushed sour cream potatoes, and this was a New York Times recipe. So easy. You use tiny little potatoes, boil them up, squash them. You make a garlic cream sauce, dump it over, then add some sour cream. <laughs> so it was, it was amazingly delicious. And the original recipe, because it's a Thanksgiving one, I think calls for four pounds of potatoes. And it was just me and the boys. So I was gonna cut it in half, which I forgot when I started making the cream sauce. So we had a lot of sauce and I kind of remembered halfway through I was looking at the amount of cream that they wanted me to add to, like, a pound and a half of potatoes. <laughs> like, that's going to be too much. So that was... A little... It was a
1: little bit creamier yeah.
0: than it needed to be, but, I mean, that's not really a bad oh, you,
1: thing. you dump it in the casserole, and, or, or is I mean, it it's just like a little like mashed, dollop?
0: It's, no, it's kind of like mashed potatoes. Okay. But it was... I think the original is four pounds of potatoes and two cups of cream and a bunch of garlic. Okay. And you simmer the garlic in the cream so it infuses the flavor, and then add that. And you kind of crush the potatoes, so, it's so there's like still. So
1: it's really, it's smashed really mashed scalloped
0: potatoes. Yes, but okay. then you don't have to bake it or anything, right? So it's only you know maybe half an hour to cook it. Mm. So definitely weeknight doable, I think. Okay, depending on how much time you have on a weeknight, but definitely it's in that range. Okay. Then the other thing I did was a crustless pumpkin pie, also from the New York Times. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> it's so good. And she talks about it, and I guess this is what her family does, because their theory is the crust just takes up room. They're often not that good anyway, especially if you're not gonna make your own and be practiced in it and make it amazing. This way, it's just the pumpkin filling, all the delicious spices, You make it's, it's like pumpkin
1: pudding, is what you call it, serve it with whipped cream, so good. Was I this excited when I was describing my new project? Because you, see, <laughs> you seem very excited about this. Well, so pumpkin pie,
0: <laughs> it is my husband and at least one of my kids. Like, if you ask them, what do you want for Thanksgiving? That is the thing that makes it Thanksgiving favorite. for them. Yes. And with my husband being gluten-free, it's always kind of tricky. Right. Because even if someone brings pumpkin pie, he usually can't eat it. So we always, I always try and make one for him or... And, and this is a great option. That, yeah, yeah, because the gluten-free crusts are not necessarily that fantastic. So this is just all of the good stuff. Put some whipped cream on there. It was amazing. And then, you know, breakfast the next day. <laughs> so, I love it. So I yes. love pumpkin flavor. So this was, this was good if you are a pumpkin person and they don't have to mess with the crust. I can get behind that. Yeah. So for the actual day, uh, I was in charge of cranberries, and I used the recipe from Thanksgiving by Sam Sifton, which is a book that is just Thanksgiving recipes. And Sam Sifton is the New York Times guy. This one has a lot of ginger in it, so it was delicious. Homemade cranberries are
1: fantastic. Yeah, I love cranberries. Yeah.
0: And then I made, because it was an organized potluck, um, so other people had already done claimed pumpkin and apple and whatnot, and... I think we had 25 people, 25, 26, so I wasn't sure that three desserts, and a lot of them were little kids. Yeah. Who don't like pie, which I don't understand, but whatever. Ours go for the ice cream. Oh, we didn't have ice cream. I thought there should be something else, so okay. I went with a chocolate cake, which we call Granny's Wowie cake, because my great-grandmother used to make it, although it's a very, it's not a traditional from the old country kind of thing. It's pretty much an American fifties kind of recipe, but we associate it with her. Um, Basically a chocolate dump cake where you use vinegar and baking soda to make it rise, one of those, and then you pull it out of the oven when it's hot in the baking pan, poke holes in it, put a powdered sugar glaze over the top and it soaks in and so it's got a little tang and lots of sugar and chocolate and people seem to like it. (laughs) So I felt pretty good about it. Good. And I have lots of leftovers. So again, breakfast.
1: Well, I have some successes and some fails. That's always (laughs) good. Which is always good. And I know people like to hear about the failures even more Mm -hmm. than a great recipe. A couple weeks ago, I made the kids wanted a batch of chocolate chip cookies. And I had no all-purpose flour. But I did have tons of almond flour left over Uh from the gluten-free baby shower Uh and so I thought without any kind of scientific data I'll just use the almond flour and I didn't research ratios or anything and I just substituted almond flour for all-purpose flour in my everyday chocolate chip cookie recipe which is straight off of the toll, it's this toll house recipe although i use ghirardelli chips so
0: two and a
1: quarter cups of almond flour put them in the oven and they totally flattened out like those pepperidge farm brussels cookies you know those oh yes they're very lacy and Mm -hmm. i think they put chocolate on one side but they very flat like that and i pulled them out and, of course, I had enough dough to do this three times over. Yeah. I pulled them out and let them sit for a moment. And then I put them onto the, pulled them off the sheet and put them onto the cookie rack to cool. And I proclaimed from the kitchen, I don't know that these are going to be right. I don't know how they're going to taste. They look wrong. They just looked really flat. And so... My 13-year-old came in, and he sampled one, and he he just kind of smirked and put another one on a plate and went back into the dining room. So I put them all on the plate, and I brought them in. They were a hit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I thought they were a complete bomb, and I'm sure that I should sort of play around with that a little bit more and look into how I could either back off the butter or so I don't know however they were really tasty and they had the texture of that lacy Brussels cookie yeah kind of crazy yeah so sort of a fail I don't know no I mean people liked him
0: so that's a success
1: yeah, yeah. we'll see we'll see if if I do the work to never apologize to perfect
0: it. words of Julie Child. I know
1: it was it's a cookie. They were happy to have them, having, yeah. Um, my other snafu, sort of, was for yesterday's. So we were responsible for harcover or green beans, and I did make the broccoli, spinach, goat cheese, phyllo pie. Is oh, that a tu-
0: traditional thing that you guys do, it or, or were you
1: just... You no, know, that's something that I make for a nice weekend dinner at our house, but we... We lost one of the vegetable dishes. Mm. One of the aunties couldn't come. So I thought I'll take it over and make this. I had everything for it. It it came out great. And I'll post the recipe for it. Because I really love this recipe. But it didn't get totally devoured. Because frankly, people are not looking for that at Thanksgiving. Which is fine. The egg snafu though. My father-in-law makes... Deviled eggs as an appetizer oh. for Christmas and Thanksgiving. Pretty much everything. It's a good man. Well, he's getting... It's it's a, a process for him now. And so we have helped take over the process a little bit. And he comes and supervises. And so I, you know, in production mode, thought I'll hard cook these eggs before they get here. And I'll get them peeled at least. And then he can... Help from there. So I boiled the eggs. I normally do like a nine minute egg for me for when I want a hard cooked egg for within a salad or a snack. And so I thought, well, I'll just do 10 and a half or 11. And I must have, maybe there were too many eggs in the pot, or I don't know. So I did 20 eggs, took them out, did a, the cold water bath, peeled them all, all 20 eggs. And then I cut into one to start doing the separating the yolk out, and realized that they were They were like a nine-minute egg, eight Ooh. and a half-minute egg. So that means that the center it's not quite jammy, but it's it's not crumbly. Yeah, you know, it's a little on the undercooked side. So it wasn't gonna mash into that deviled egg paste. Right. Thankfully, I had eggs in abundance. So I just took all, we're going to have egg salad today, basically. (laughs) So we're going to for a week. (laughs) Yeah. So I put all the eggs into a Ziploc, got it back in the fridge, boiled up another batch of eggs. And when I looked at his recipe, he brought his recipe, which is, I mean, it's really charming. His handwriting's all over it He boils his for 15 minutes. Oh. <laughs> I only did them for 12, but they were still much... They were better. They were better. Eggs are I tricky. I think 12 is the max because then they get gray. Oh, I don't know. Right? I don't know. It. You would think, like, all I'm doing is hard
0: cooking eggs and... I think eggs are ornery. My sister made deviled eggs. Or no, she did the hard boiled eggs for Easter for the dye. Mm-hmm. And she did two batches in her Instapot The first one turned out great. The second one, she did the exact same thing, not at all cooked. Like, still half raw. Wow. And she has no idea. She's done it a bajillion times in the Instapot, and it's always, this one just did not work out for whatever reason. So it was a little like, is this one edible? (laughs) Is this one not? And right, and they were dyed. There wasn't anything you could do about it at that point. I know.
1: I was kind of kicking myself that I had peeled the whole batch before checking one. So the second time around, I pulled one out and checked it first and and then went forth. So his recipe is a little on the salty side and that's the only change that we'll have to make in the future, Ooh. but there's tons of garlic in it. Ooh. And he calls for French's mustard, which I Ooh. was balking at a little bit, but Dijon is salt, so much saltier and we had already
0: Added the salt. Yeah.
1: Added the salt, so we went with the French's. And once it's conveyed in its egg white car container, container <laughs> uh, vehicle, then it was, I mean, they're amazing. Yeah. Interesting. So if ever you need a pa- an excuse to buy a pastry tube and the tip, you know, it's to make the fanciest oh, yeah. hard-cooked eggs yeah. a girl could want for- Nice. Yeah. So that was my egg snafu. And then I made the harco which are super easy. You know, the thin green beans with uh, caramelized shallots and olive oil and salt and pepper. And then um, I sprinkle dill over the top. The recipe... Do they have a sauce? No. Oh, so they're not... It's just olive oil. Okay. Just because you have the crispy things on top and usually. They're pretty soft, those caramelized shallots. And I don't do that many of them. And... I think the recipe is an old William Sonoma recipe and it calls for roasted almonds oh. for the crunchy. Oh. But um, I really love dill, so that's how I do it. Nice. And then my Thanksgiving party favor were these two little empty brown bottles. That our cousin had used, our cousin Maggie had used for um, vases on the table. And uh-huh. she was saying how she bought them to make vanilla extract. Oh. And so she gave two of them to me because she had only meant to buy a few of them and a box of 50 arrived. So she has <laughs> tons of these vases. And I'm so excited to make vanilla extract. Oh. So I shall report back yes, on yes. my. Process and I have vanilla beans and I'm pretty sure I have vodka in the freezer, so off All we right. go. Excellent. Look forward to hearing about that. Alright, on the nightstand? Yeah. Cool. What do you what have you read?
0: Lots of things. Uh first one I finished is City of Brass by S. A. Chakraborty. Um, this is the one I had started last time, so pretty much fantasy, except it does take place in this world, but most of it takes place in the far-off city of the genies, or the djinn, I guess is the <laughs> sort of official word for them. I think early 1300s, it starts off on in Cairo. Our heroine is a con artist and a thief, kind of raised on the streets, never knew her family. Um, but she also has kind of magical healing properties, both herself, like if she gets a paper cut, she'll just heal, um, and she can also sense illnesses and kind of help fix people, not all things. Um, but her dream is to go to university but she's has a hard time saving money and whatnot so it's kind of a a dream Um, she is faking an exorcism people (laughs) people hire her to do exorcisms and so she's like yeah sure i'll do it she accidentally comes across a real evil spirit and accidentally does she recognize she doesn't realize it is at first she she can tell something is wrong with the girl's mind she can sense that there's a disturbance there but she just thinks the girl is mentally mad. yeah struggling yes and she accidentally summons a genie but she also doesn't realize at first so on her way home the evil spirit comes to attack her the genie appears to save her they fight off the demon the genie recognizes that she is a long-lost princess of the genies um, and sweeps her off on a magic carpet to the genie city This is all sounding really light and fluffy. It's actually more Game of Thrones-like. It's pretty... pretty. It's not quite that dark, but it's definitely real politic. There's palace intrigues. The different factions in the city are fighting. Power struggles. I I really enjoyed it. It's the first book of a series. And I'm actually really excited to read
1: the rest of the series. Is the rest of the series completely written? um, The
0: second book came out... In January of this year, so oh. I feel like probably book three is going to be coming out soon. Great, I didn't check to see if it's available, so um, I want to get through a little bit more of my library holds list and then <laughs> pop into that. But I really enjoyed that one. Uh, the next one I read was *The Bookish Life of Nina Hill* by Abby Waxman. If you like reading, this is probably a good book for you. She works in a bookstore in LA. Kind of a solitary person, has a few close friends. She participates in a trivia league, runs a lot of the events at the bookstore, um, knows people in the neighborhood, things like that. And she notices a guy in a rival trivia team that she thinks is pretty cute. And her friends all say, you know, you should ask him out. And you also get some of his perspective um, where he thinks she's cute. They kind of have an awkward meeting. She's not the most Socially adept person, very introverted. I can't and, relate. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's that romance going on, or potential romance anyway. She also is at work, and a lawyer comes in and says, hey, your dad just died, and he left you something, but she's never known her dad. Her mom always said, you know, I was a free-spirited world traveler, didn't really know who he was. Um, so she has this whole new family to learn to live with, Some of them are excited to welcome her. Some of them are just think she's after the money. So there's a couple different things. It's a pretty lighthearted book. It all works out in the end. Lots of talk about books and reading and what it means to people. And it was really sweet. So I liked it. Happy ending. Happily, yeah, she gets her happily ever after. And then I read The Night Tiger by Yang Chu. So this one takes place in uh, Malaya, I guess, which is current day Malaysia. Um, in the 1930s, early 1930s, again, fantasy or kind of magical realism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some weird, very atmospheric things going on, and people having visions and seeing ghosts, and but not, you know, dragons or super craziness. Um, so there's two main characters and two viewpoints. You switch the chapters, switch back and forth between their point of view. First one is a young woman. She's about 20. Her name is Jilin she is working as a dressmaker's apprentice and trying to make extra money to pay off her mother's gambling debts by working in a dance hall. She really wants to go to university. Her stepfather won't allow it, so she's kind of struggling with a lot of things. Then the other main character is a 11-year-old boy named Ren, who is an orphan and lost his twin brother a few years ago. He's been working as a servant to a doctor, kind of in the country. The doctor has recently passed away and tasked him with finding his lost finger and adding it, bearing it with him so that his spirit can be complete and he can move on in the afterlife. So it's a little bit strange. (laughs) So he goes off to try and find it. There's connections between them. There's connections between other people. Uh, There's visions. There's a man-eating tiger roaming around. There's some other mysterious accidents at the hospital where Li's. Brother works. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And it all kinds of, it sounds really weird. All comes together. Very atmospheric. I would recommend that one as well.
1: You're describing <laughs> it, and I would bet money that I've read it, but I cannot yeah. remember how it ends. I'm just struggling to, I don't know why it didn't stick.
0: Interesting. I mean, I feel like missing fingers, there probably aren't that many. Yeah, that's the giveaway. For that. like, like, I've that read that. Point. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you how it ends. We can talk about it later, but I'm not going to now. Um, I also finished crazy or finished. listened to Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. I had seen the movie so I thought, oh, we'll read the book, see how it is. A lot more detail as there is if you haven't seen the movie or the previews or don't know what it is, our heroine is Rachel Chu. She is a professor at NYU, uh, a professor of economics and her boyfriend is also a professor, Nick Young and he invites her to, Come home with him for the summer. He has a wedding to attend. In His family's all in Singapore. That's where his best friend is and the wedding is. So come home for the wedding, meet his family, and then they can travel around Asia, see the sights. She agrees to it. They've been going out for about two years. Um, what he doesn't tell her is that he is from one of the richest, most powerful families in Singapore. And this is like the wedding of the century, which so frustrating, like, <laughs> and again, that's kind of part of her issue with him. How could you not tell someone that?
1: How could she not Google him?
0: That actually, that's did you see the movie or read no. the book? No. Oh, so in the movie, this is one thing that is different. In the movie, she has a good. This is in both of them. She has a good friend from college that was from Singapore, uh-huh. and so she that was part of the reason why she decided to go is so she could go see her friend. Her friend, when she hears who her boyfriend is, is amazed because she knows who he is. Right. And in the book. She knows who the best friend is, but hasn't heard of his family. His family is so old money that they have shut down all mention of them. Okay. They have talked to Google Earth and gotten the grandmother's estate erased from the map. <laughs> kind of wealthy. It's insane. Like They don't allow mentions of them in the newspaper, so only the people that actually get to associate with them know who they are. But still, it's along the lines of like, hey, come to London and go to my best friend's wedding. And you're best friend turns out to be prince harry or something right like it's insane that he would not tell her anything about this so anyway so she gets there everyone thinks she's a gold digger there's a couple of nice people shenanigans ensued (laughs) it's been a while since we had ensuing shenanigans (laughs) yeah so yeah so it was cute the book was you know very very true to the movie it's a little bit darker than the movie the movie they definitely mm. lined it up they threw in the um, characters for comedic effect yeah which is always fun uh, so yeah but it was fine yeah
1: I have neither seen the movie nor read the book nor listened to it so
0: yeah, it, I, it...
1: I, the movie I thought was really fun I mean okay
0: yeah feel you like you know shopping scenes and <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a Prince and the Popper yeah, kind the of thing. transition yeah yeah no yeah. it's kind of fun. And then I read just a total, this is like hardcore romance, um, The Wicked and the Wallflower by Sarah McLean. (laughs) Very palate cleansing. She is a highborn lady who has been accidentally ruined and still has hopes of marrying. She's also Pixlox, excellent (laughs) picker. He has been raised on the streets, um, but has become a smuggler and leader of a London crime syndicate. But obviously has a heart of gold and is totally concerned with the people who work for him. Although he does seem very keen to kill anyone who disobeys his rules. So there's that. Um, people are complicated. <laughs> very true. <laughs> very true. So there's this whole plot uh, that involves him ruining her. But of course he falls in love with her and she falls in love with him. But he thinks he's not good enough for her because you know she's the daughter of a Marcus, Mar- Marquis. 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 Marquis, I think is actually how it's pronounced. Really, but yes, written marquis. I don't. Uh, maybe in French. In England, I think it's marquis. Okay. Anyway, I did not know that. I think I could be wrong. Probably not. I don't know. Anyway, one step below a duke. <laughs> <laughs> much? One down, duke light. So they get there happily ever after. the The plot is there very loosely, so that they meet. And can have snarky conversation and witty repartee while you get their inner thoughts, which is like, wow, he's hot. Wow, she's hot. Wow, he's hot. <laughs> that is the whole book. And then they hook up occasionally. Very open door kind of book. Yeah. So this is a really romancy romance, much more than I have been
1: reading lately. But, you know, it was a good example of, of its kind. I think the first audio book that I listened to was a Sarah McLean oh. audio. That would be interesting. It was, not it was not an as... open-door romance, oh, okay. I
0: promise. It okay. was um, the one with the... I think this I is the know. first I've read of her, so... I'll have to Doesn't think know. about that. Yeah, And then I started Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin, which is Muslim Pride and Prejudice. So I'm interested to see what she does with that.
1: Great. <gasps> How about you? I have had a slower book week because I am painting a lot. But I did read The Dutch House, the new Anne oh. Patchett... Wonderful, cool, awesome, fabulous. This takes place in the Philadelphia suburbs and also a little bit in New York City. The father in it buys a house after World War II or starts buying property after World War II. And then, you know, by the time the kids come along, it's maybe 60s through present day. I'm not certain on that timeline, but it feels pretty modern, pretty modern day by the end of it. It's told from the perspective of Danny, who before I picked up the book, I saw that Tom Hanks was doing the audio version. And Ooh. so I have to admit that the whole time I read the book, I heard Tom Hanks's voice <laughs> um, narrating. And then his sister Maeve, and she's um, a lot older. So what happens is the father buys this amazing house, and he convinces his wife to, like, this is where they're going to live. He hands her the keys, and he thinks she's going to be elated, but she is way more of a philanthropic-spirited person, and she does not want to live in a mansion.
0: Hmm.
1: What happens essentially is that she leaves to become, to go take care of, people who are in need of her care. Like she goes to India and decides that she is just going to devote her life to philanthropy and care work and helping others and that her husband's got this. They have a whole staff at this Dutch, the Dutch house is what it's called. And off she goes and leaves these two kids behind. And so much of the narrative is the kids reconciling with having been left and what makes up a family when the when the mother has chosen a different path. The kids have such different perspectives from this and and how she conveys each perspective is really interesting. The house itself becomes a, a sort of, not an evil presence, but just a looming presence in the book because it represents so much of what the mother disdained about the lifestyle and how the father saw it as his crowning achievement. And it is definitely the right structure for this book is around this house. Also a really wonderful story of siblinghood. There's so much here and it's so well told. I just highly recommend it. also read Where the Crawdads Sing for book group, which is one that everybody has been reading. Yeah,
0: I still haven't read it.
1: Um, It's by Delia Owens. It takes place in the not far past, you know, maybe the 70s, 80s, I think, in South Carolina in a marsh. And it's a young girl named Kaya who also has been abandoned by her mother for very different reasons. And she's really, truly left to her own devices in this shack in a marsh and she lives by the estuaries and the tides and there are a couple of amazing characters who help her basically grow up on her own for the for the beginning portion her father comes and goes but he is very mercurial and eventually we don't hear from him again she kind of raises herself and she's very aware of the nature and I loved that part of it. She's so attuned to the birds and the grasses, and she is an artist, and so she's drawing pictures of what she sees, and she's collecting things from the beaches, and and she has to rectify this natural life with being a cast-off a cast off from society. And there's, there's a big mystery that's happening about a boy her age who... Is murdered in near the marsh's edge, and she um, she's accused of his murder, and it's it's a giant mystery piece to it that is is hard to work around. You know, it's it feels oppressive in the book. Um, but this is a really interesting. There's a lot in this book, and I it's another one that I really recommend people oh, okay. jump on board. And then I had a, an easy audiobook in the background called The Winter People by Jennifer McMahon, and that was while I was painting all of my mushroom caps or my little mushrooms on the envelopes. This takes place in 1905 and present-day Vermont, and it jumps back and forth in time, and it's about a community that's haunted, and they don't really know why, and there's there's this... Folklore, if you will, about winter people and how you can bring someone who's died back to life. And, you know, it reminded me of Outlander. You know the rocks in Outlander? Oh, the stone, where yeah. Where there's a stone circle. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's like a devil's hand or something like that. And uh, it sounds similar. Yeah. That's what I kept picturing whenever they were talking about it. It's, it's kind of a mystery, a ghost mystery. It takes place in winter so. It feels seasonal for right right now, and it's... Vermont does winter. Yes, Vermont knows how to do winter quite well. It was an easy-listen sort of background
0: audiobook. All right, Under the Tree. Uh, So we'll start off with knitting ideas. Yes, please. Um, So, yes, I think I said last year, yeah, yarn is usually kind of hard to do, Mm -hmm. um, especially if you aren't a yarn person. There is a dyer, um, Gage Dye Works, and I've used her yarn a lot. And I was thinking about that. She does the cool striping ones. So she doesn't have a super broad color palette, um, but the way she dyes it is super cool. And she'll dye skeins for specific projects. Like she just released one that's a hat pattern where it's a double-sided hat and you kind of knit a hat. I guess you would start at the top of one hat and knit it, and then you keep going, and you knit another hat, so they're attached, and then you fold them inside. Oh. So the first half of the skein is kind of stripes, and then it's a solid, and you do some color work on there. So it's reversible, um, but it's all in one skein. And really warm. And really warm. She has very cool, different sort of mentally exciting Mm -hmm. skeins of yarn. It's not just pretty yarn. I mean, it's gorgeous. I love it. Um, So I was thinking something like that would be a cool gift if you didn't know exactly what to get your yarn lover. She is in Canada so there are additional shipping charges. But, the, but that's the, supporting a small business yeah. too which is so, always good. Um, and it's not cheap yarn so there's that. But mm-hmm. the conversion rate I think is working in our favor so it's not too bad. And then accessories are always really good. Um, one brand I really like is Katrinkles. Um, she has a website and I was looking at her stuff and she has stitch markers that are adorable. But she also has things like buttons and ornaments that you use yarn to accentuate. So, you know, like it'll be a, a wooden mitten ornament with holes in it. And then you put your yarn through. And so then, you know, you get to personalize it and make Oh, that's fine. with the yarn. And so it looks whatever color you want. I think she has trees and, and all sorts of things. Um, and she has buttons that are animal shaped. And so you can put in like the kitten whiskers or, um, you know, you, on, yarn on a sheep. So it looks fuzzy. So lots of little cool different things that would be a fun, either a project or something to accentuate a project that I thought would be good. And then again, bags are always good. Uh, Namaste has a line of bags that are more purse-like, so they look like a purse, mm-hmm. but you, there's they're built to have your knitting project in them as well, and they've come out with a couple of carrying cases. So one is a train case, and it looks kind of like an old-fashioned lunchbox, but not metal. It's got, you know, like the... With the rounded top, and you open it up, and then there's all the space in there, um, and you can carry it around. And then they came out, just came out with one that you open it up, and it has four compartments that kind of pull out, and then your yarn goes in oh, the middle. Oh, like an old one.
1: sewing box? Yeah. Kind of
0: thing. With little yeah, spaces mm-hmm. for your different things. And um, so something like that
1: could be really fun.
0: Yeah. And there's always neat places to put their projects. Yeah. And then, oh, and then knitting magazines. Pomp-pomp oh, that's a great idea. Is a really good one, um, or even a specific issue. Like the winter pom pom magazine that just came out is amazing, so many gorgeous projects, um, and they have recipes and other things, and it's just visually appealing. And um, there's another one called uh, Len, which is yarn I think in French, and I haven't I haven't read that one myself, but I've seen the patterns go by when I'm on Ravelry, and they mm-hmm. usually they usually look pretty good. So there's a bunch of them out there, and there's probably
1: something for everyone. Fun, yeah, for the artist in your life. I echo your sentiment about pencil case or the cases. You know, it's so nice to have a new pencil case or the thing that I've been looking for for years and will probably end up making is a brush roll so that I can tuck, you know, five or six brushes into something and then close it and know that the the bristles uh, don't get smooshed over. You know, there's... There's a no, I haven't found a really good option that I really love. So I often take brushes that I won't be heartbroken if they get mashed. But brush rolls or pencil cases, and while I was looking for such things, I'm going to have a link to a couple that I thought were great from Etsy. I saw a lot of fun enamel pins, which are good for every. I mean, you can find an enamel pin for your, the knitter in your life, yeah. the artist in your life, the cactus person, the book lover, the or any combination pie maker. Yeah, yeah, any combination thereof. And I, I, I still like enamel pins. Yeah. I don't know. They're fun I to have just...
0: one of my knitting bags. I have those where I stick all my knitting pins. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I put them on my coats and yeah. or my vest or whatever. So I think it's hard especially for somebody who's painting a lot or drawing a lot, they they have their go-to tools. A sketchbook is always welcome. And even teeny tiny ones, I keep a little notebook in my bag and yeah. pull it out all the time and have like a little mini board that I clip to the back of it so that I can stand at the sideline of a soccer game and sketch You know, while I'm standing there and have a surface. So... Um, little tiny portable things like that are so welcome because we go through them pretty quickly, I think, and they are portable. and You can yeah. have them with you always. You can always use another one. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. In the kitchen.
0: All right. This one is totally silly, but I have been eyeing William Sonoma's Star Wars collection. They now have Instapots. <laughs> that are Star Wars based. The one that looks like R2-D2 is adorable, I have to say. And I don't have an Instapot yet, so you know, theoretically, yeah. if someone wants to buy it for me, they could. Um, but they also have a Han Solo roaster, <laughs> so it's like a black roasting pan with a lid that is the Han Solo and carbonite, <laughs> which I actually kind of feel is like, I don't know how, you wouldn't have the lid on it very often, so it's sort of not terribly useful, but you could display it and people would be super impressed. They have a little pie bird that's like Oh. Little creatures so super they have toasters which just seems really silly but it's amusing so if you have a Star Wars lover who also cooks that could be a way to go
1: um, cookie cutters are great yeah. you know theme cookie cutters if you don't want to do the, the yes. whole shebang <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Yep. and then um, eater.com also had
0: a list of best cookbooks for beginner cooks but a lot of them I mean they're just great books that mm-hmm. it's not something that the cook in your life has in their collection they would probably love like i still anything that's a basic it's still going to be useful and i think they had in there like a cake one where it was like a mix and match match kind of simple cake thing which mm-hmm. i mean i've got the gluten-free issue so it probably wouldn't be the most useful but i still really i would actually be excited to get that because it just ideas to think and kind of a springboard for for the new year and whatnot
1: good yeah. I mentioned last week the popcorn, the silicone popcorn popper. Yes. Which I still think is a great, very easy gift or host gift. Or, yeah. I mean, it could be for a college dorm room to yep. your bachelor brother-in-law to a family. Yep. It can really cross all of oh, those. It be good like if you do a white elephant. Excellent, excellent white, white elephant. Yeah. yeah, and it's not – they're they're very inexpensive you just need a microwave, so
0: yeah.
1: I would recommend giving it with a bag of, I like white corn, popping oh. corn, and then maybe some truffle salt, Yeah, because I'm partial to truffle salt. But you can get a fancy salt, or there's like a smoked whiskey salt, or there's yeah. all different kinds of salts. I love salts. I wonder if
0: I do like kettle corn salt.
1: flavoring thing well a car a caramel salt jacobson's does a vanilla salt that's Uh, really nice one of the things we noticed yesterday while our cousin was hosting was all of the things that weren't in her kitchen which is a gentle teasing when i was talking to my husband about it he said boy a great way to give a gift for a cook is to cook with them in their kitchen and then Follow it up with that much-needed whisk and ice cream scoop. (laughs) But that you kind of need to know the person for. I will always vote for a Le Creuset. Mm, Yeah. Oh,
0: they have Star Wars ones too now.
1: (laughs) And they have Star Wars ones now too. When I pull out my Le Creuset, I always remember who gave it to me. You know? So that is, I think, a really, really nice gift and you can give it with an oven mitt or a cookbook or something like that if you want to round it out. So that's kind of all I had for table. I haven't really looked at cookbook lists for what's coming out for Christmas time.
0: Oh, yeah, I haven't either.
1: But maybe we can find a good list and add it to the the links.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times single item books are kind of fun.
1: Yeah. Because that's something you probably wouldn't
0: buy for yourself, but it's going to be right like I
1: will always buy for myself 40 night like weekend or weeknight recipes I will always grab that one but yeah yeah, you're right the single ones
0: yeah and then as for books um I I think last year we talked about your book of the month club Mm -hmm. which is kind of the standard but um I was listening to what should I read next and there is a local bookstore in I forget where they are. Kansas City, maybe called the Novel Neighbor, and they do a book subscription. Oh, great! So it's an indie bookstore doing their recommendations, and you could do it for three or six months, or you know, however many. So I thought that might be a nice way to do it. You know, maybe check with your local bookstore, see if, or you know, your your gifties local bookstore, see if mm-hmm. if they do something like
1: that. Or I that saw one for young readers recently too. I'll have oh, to find a oh, link okay. for that.
0: Yeah, and then
1: Goodreads had
0: a list of books about books. So there were some interesting ones on there, including David Bowie's library, which was a hundred books that transformed his life, which (laughs) I thought was super interesting. I might have to get that one out of the library just to see (laughs) what's in there. But yeah, so stories about books and books about books. And so I think if you're, you know, you have a reader who really loves to read, then something about books is gonna, Mm -hmm. gonna do it for them. And then I was also thinking, and this is sort of adjacent to a lot of things, if they have a bookish podcast they like, or a you know cooking podcast, or something, or any podcast, they'll have um, a lot of them. Will have Patreon accounts or subscriptions. Yes, they'll get you bonus content, which often is something I'm not going to buy for myself. I like my free podcasts, and if there's a few that I do actually subscribe to because they're my top and I really like what they're doing, but most of the time I don't. I can't do all of the ones, all of the ones that I listen to. Yeah, um, but could be something that. That would be nice to give them a little bonus for their life. And I think they they often, they'll do swag or, you know, and they'll start at a pretty reasonable amount per month.
1: That's a good idea. Hmm. I thought so. I like it. I, for for the readers, my nightstand suggestions are kind of brief I personally am going to get myself an itty-bitty night light book light one of those things oh yeah I think that that would be a great gift for my marriage (laughs) but the the other thing I was thinking of for my book group every year I do I make a bookmark and I just take the cover of all of the books and do like front and back the 10 books that we covered that year roughly and then give it out as a little Christmas gift. Oh, that's awesome. But I thought if you have a bookish friend, you could take the 10 books that you really loved this year, you've read tons, and you could list them on a bookmark or do the covers on a bookmark and then give it with one of the books that you loved best or with a book gift certificate or that kind of thing. The other thing that I saw that I always love are those mini book necklaces Mm -hmm. I took that class at the center for the book but I've seen them on Etsy too and people do blank ones so that you can write like you could actually write books that you love in a necklace and give it to someone or I saw a great book enamel pin as well and yeah that's where I that's where I'm at with the bookish gifts nice
0: yeah we got some ideas there for your holiday gift-giving
1: needs. We
0: will be back for another episode before the end of the year. And then I think we will have a little break because of holidays and travel and kids and and whatnot. Um, And then we'll be back in the new year, which is craziness. 2020. Oh, bizarre. It's the future, people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, until then, make sure
1: to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
0: Can I do one... Rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah. Because it's related to gouache member.
1: Yes, please. Because
0: we were talking about what you would call a group of painters, gouachers. So I went down a rabbit hole. So I was when I was editing last time. I was like, oh right, I wanted to look at that. I went down a total rabbit hole of what you call people. And <laughs> groups of people. Groups of people. Okay. Um and I came up with things like, Oh, it's a collective of artists. It's like, oh well, yeah, okay. You know, an artist collective. So that wasn't as exciting. So then I looked up lists of animals to see if I could find something that would be alliterative because I thought that would be fun. And there were all sorts of weird words, like a group of cats can be a clouder or a clutter or a pounce or a doubt or a nuisance or a glorying <laughs> or a glare. It's like, oh, a glorying of guashers would be kind of cool. That's nice and alliterative. But then I found a bunch of ones that were also, that were for people, but they were just, I don't know if they're words that anybody actually uses, but they're yeah. just kind of creative. So like a group of cosmologists is a gallery or sorry, oh. a galaxy okay. or um, electricians would be a grid, a grid of electricians. Oh. <laughs> so, so then I decided, well, I'm just making up my own word. So I want it to be, well, and you can vote yes on yes or no on this, but I'm thinking a bristle of
1: gouachers. Ooh, we are a bristly bunch have a you know it's like a group
0: it's a thing and and it sounds kind of artistic and so that's
1: i like it that's what you guys are so okay i'm gonna according to monica you guys are a bristle of gouaches sounds good um continue i will i will (laughs) consider the gouache world informed
0: Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat, or CourtneySF, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.